This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Toby Walsh, welcome. Thank you. Um, You're here to talk to us about your new book, It's Alive. Uh, Toby is one of the world's leading researchers in in artificial intelligence. He has spent his life dreaming about and researching machines that might think. So I would say that's an obsession. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it started when I was a young boy. I read too much science fiction. I mean, authors like Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke, and and they painted a picture of a future that was full of, you know, machines, robots, and intelligent computers. And uh, I started dreaming about that myself, and that sort of dream is, interesting enough, is starting to come true today. We're starting starting to invade our lives. It's been a bit slower than I thought. I mean, you know, when you read George Orwell, it was looming very, very soon. But, you know, we're now in 2018, and we're not quite there. Well, there are little little bits of AI in our lives. People don't realise how it's starting to permeate our lives. I mean, every time you ask Syria a question, it's artificial intelligence that's understanding your speech and going up and looking up the answer and then reading it back to you every time you get a book recommendation from Amazon. There's a little AI program that knows something about people's preferences and knows about books that are similar to each other that's making that recommendation just like a friend would make a recommendation. Tell me what AI is. It's very hard to say what AI is. In fact, most of my colleagues have given up trying to define what it is. Uh, we, don't, we don't have a very good word, definition for intelligence, so how are we going to come up with a very good different definition for artificial intelligence? It, some people say it's doing with computers um, things that if a human did them, we'd say they're intelligent. So it would be like self-driving cars? Self-driving cars is a very good example of the sort of thing that's coming very soon to our lives that is artificial intelligence because the, the car has to be like a human. It has to recognize the, the other cars on the road, the cyclists, the pedestrians, and then it has to make decisions about you know what to do in, in certain situations. And so that that is a an ex- good example of how AI is coming. And in fact, it's, it's already here in, in some respects. You can go out and buy yourself a Tesla today or a top-end Mercedes and down the highway, not around the city, but down the highway, it will already drive itself. Uh, that's, yeah, I mean, we are heading in that direction. Toby is also a professor of artificial intelligence at the University of New South Wales, and he's won prestige, the prestigious Humboldt Research Award. Um, it is your first book. Uh, you've got an English accent, so we need to know where that's from and why you're here. Um, and incredibly interesting subject. Tell me how it all began. I mean, how is it that you became a professor in artificial <laughs> intelligence? I mean, I, it is a very specialised field. It is a very specialised field. There aren't that many people like no. myself around the world, a couple of thousand, I guess. You could count them uh, in th- that sort of number. You probably know them all. 
I do know a good number of them, yes, yeah. actually. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's a nice community to, to work within. I think it's because, as I said, I, when I started reading too much science fiction, I, and I thought this is a fantastic idea, and I could be someone who could help try and build that. And it's been, as you said, maybe it's taken a bit longer, and maybe I, maybe I just didn't have any imagination to do anything other than what I thought about when I was an eight-year-old boy reading, starting to read these these wonderful novels um, that painted a picture of a future where the machines were taking the sweat. And um, and as I grew older, I realized actually it was one of these really profound scientific questions um, about us, not just about the machines, but about... It who, is really about us as It's humans, really about us because... Um, if you look at the history of, you know, the, the deep scientific questions, you know, um, every time we thought we were special, you know, the earth, the sun went round the earth. Well, no, we were wrong. The earth went round the sun. Copernicus taught us that. And, and then, um, you know, were we any different than the apes? No, Darwin showed us that, that we weren't any, we'd evolved from the same place. And so the only thing that's left is our intelligence. It, in fact, you know, it's in our name. We're Homo sapiens, the intelligent. We, we you know, we vainly called ourselves the intelligent species, but we are. We are the most intelligent thing on the planet. We're the only, the only animal that's invented complex language. And for better or worse, we dominate the, the planet because we're intelligent. We're not the fastest. We're not the, we haven't got the sharpest teeth. We're and not sometimes we're not as intelligent as we think we are. Yes, I mean, you will speak to environmentalists and they say mm. we're probably not that intelligent. Well, yes, we, we, we do. So it will be good if we could have more intelligent machines who can make better decisions than us. So it, it, but it does ultimately go to this question is, you know, is there anything special about our intelligence or is it something that we could build in silicon? And uh, we're still a long way to go. I mean, I don't want your listeners to think that, that AI is, you know, you ask most of my colleagues, I think we'll say there's another 50 or 100 years before we can make machines that are truly as intelligent as us. Well, how would that look though? You're not going to see them. It's 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 not actually as as you would see in the Hollywood movies. You know, of android robots that are walking around that look like us. Actually, somebody doing your washing. Yes. Or have we already got that well, in a washing machine? Well, we're rediscovering. Actually, it's very it's very hard to make a robot walk. It's much easier to put them on wheels. And in fact, the wheel is a much better way of moving. And then nature never invented the wheel. Interesting enough. Um, but it's actually the, if, if you've got tarmac, it's the most efficient way to move. Walking's much more inefficient. So, um, it's not, um, necessarily going to be like us. And that's why it's called artificial intelligence. It, it may be quite artificial, might be quite different to our intelligence. A, a, a good example I give to people is flight. We didn't, we didn't get to fly by copying the birds. If we did, I think we'd still be standing at the end of the runway, flapping our hands, hoping we were going to take off. But we did it um, by solving the same, you know, scientific equations, the same Napier-Stokes physics that was involved. I'm glad you started with that example because I have felt that aviation has been very slow. I think I mean, you know, in terms of speed, it still takes 23 hours to get to London. Well, that's not a problem with aviation. That's the fundamental law of physics, which is the speed of sound. And if you want to go faster than the speed of sound, you have to go through the sound barrier, and that requires lots of expensive engineering. And you're right. You know, we used to be able to do it. We had this thing called Concorde, but, but that was, you know, engineering in front of its time. So it was an amazing plane. Um, so, but yes, um, we are limited by the fundamental laws of physics. And maybe we're going to be limited by the fundamental laws of physics in how we can build intelligence. We don't know. Um, we don't, this is going to be why it's interesting, whether we, maybe there's something special about our biology that we can't make in silicon. 
Um, there's another, uh, and, I, and I'll get this wrong, and you probably know it better than me, but I, I saw this documentary recently and they were talking about um, pilots and training pilots and they were looking at birds and I'll get this wrong, but I think when birds come, well, so birds don't collide, right? And so what this was saying is, you know, how do we stop a collision or, a pl- you know, planes not running into each other. And birds instinctively have a hierarchy. Is that right? Where they turn left or right immediately or up or down. How do- and the interesting thing and where I'm going with this is how then do you translate that either to artificial intelligence or to teaching pilots? I mean, that's yeah. an interesting... It, it is very intelligent, interesting. In fact, we do try and do it now. We try, try and build swarms of drones that can fly together. And in some like sense, birds, like birds, and and you know exactly, and how, how can you avoid them colliding, and and how do they communicate? And, and what is it the birds do? They instinctively know oh, well, what so, to do. Well, we don't fully understand exactly how they do it, how they can fly and not bump into each other, and clearly they're not communicating that much with each other. You know, they can squawk a little bit, but there's not a huge amount of communication that can happen, and yet they coordinate themselves beautifully. And how, and how out of out of um, individual actions, collectively, they can fly and together without... So this is, you know, a really interesting scientific problem that we need to solve if we're going to be able to get drones flying together. Um, You you can look at... um, Not only does the coordination problem, but there's also... They get more efficiency out of it. They fly more efficiently by riding on the vortices of the bird in front of them. If you look at the V formation of birds flying in the sky, they're actually flying using less energy than if they were flying individually because they're all actually um, flying off the, the, the poor bird in the front the front of the V who's doing most of the effort, like cyclists to fly. And, and so he uh, would be the more dominant bird, for Well, they rot- if you look, if you look carefully, the, 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 the birds rotate around so they don't... Like in a peloton, they don't all have to spend time at the front because you're using more energy. Because they'll get tired. Yes, and they won't get the free ride that the other birds are getting off, off the vortices, off the, the back of the wing of the of the bird in front of them. So when we're looking at artificial intelligence, do we kind of look at what's in nature and then try and apply that to... That's a great question. That's one way. Um, some, some of my colleagues look at nature and, and think, well... Nature's already given us the the only example, actually, of intelligence that we know. So, so we could try and copy that. Um, but that's a that's a more sort of perhaps bottom up way of looking at the problem. There's a more top down way of looking at the problem, which is just to think, well, um, like logicians do and philosophers do. Let's think about well, how did we come to solve the problem in some sort of more abstract way, and let's see if we can actually codify that. Can we come up with the algorithms that that represent that? It's a more perhaps you know, top down way of doing it. It's not clear which which approach is going to work. Um, one of the things that, that we do a lot more of today, and there's in fact one reason behind the success that we're seeing, the fact that you're seeing AI in the papers all the time now, is that we're doing lots of um, what's called machine learning. The, the machine is learning for itself. And that's like humans. I mean, when, when you're born, you, mm-hmm. you weren't intelligent. You couldn't speak. You couldn't read. You couldn't write. You learned all that. 
And so um, we're writing programs that learn that by giving lots of experiences, like the experience we get as humans, as, as, as toddlers, um, learn how to do tasks. We don't know how to, to write a program today that, for an autonomous car that can recognize a street sign or recognize a pedestrian and a cyclist. We actually just give it lots of examples of street signs and cyclists and pedestrians and say, look, here's a cyclist, here's a pedestrian, here's a, here's a stop sign, here's a go sign. And the program learns for itself how to do this task. I can't even get my head around the concept that a program or a machine learns. Yes, yes, it's, it's, it's hard because people think, you know, programs do, could we just do what you tell them to do? Yeah. But it comes down to, it's, uh, I'm going to have to get a little more technical, but, but it's really important. Try and explain it I will to try me. and explain why. So the really fundamental thing about computers is they're what they were called universal machines. They do anything. Every computer can do anything. And its program is just more data, like the data it operates on. And so since it's data, it can change its own program. And so the program changes itself. It changes its settings, its parameters, um, so that it stops uh, saying that a stop sign is a go sign and recognizes there are two different types of sign and slowly gets better and better by seeing more and more examples and tweaking its many, many, many parameters. It's not just one or two parameters. So does it tweak it or does the programmer tweak it? It tweaks its own parameters. We give it a program that tells it how to tweak its parameters. So when it's shown enough examples, it will eventually learn the right idea. Um, The difference, though, still between computers and humans is that we're really quick learners. And the programs we write need lots and lots, millions of examples. So they're incredibly slow. And they're, compared to us, they're really slow learners. So we've still got a way to go. To, to I like how you refer to them as they. Like, yes. <laughs> well, I should be saying it. You know. It, yeah, that's right. At least right. I'm not saying he or she. No, I know. And I'm hoping you're not sleeping with your computer. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> but it is hard not to get suitably attached to them. When they, when they respond to you in ways which are quite human, this is... One of the challenges that we sort of do imbibe them with, with, you know, emotions and feelings and intelligence, and they, none of these things which they have at the moment, certainly, and may 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 never have. Um, so the the development of artificial intelligence does that is that driven by market, like what the market wants by demand, or is it driven? It, does it come out of science and then filter its way out? to use like say for instance the self-drive car or you know those robot vacuum cleaners i mean that's artificial intelligence isn't it those ones that you know know how to vacuum your floor or carpet or whatever that's a cheat those robot vacuum cleaners are a complete cheat why because they don't because they don't know today at least i mean we could you know i could build one in the lab a very expensive one though not one that you could buy in a shop the ones you buy in shops are really stupid in fact they have no intelligence they (laughs) Well, they, they vacuum your floor. Yeah, they with do. That. They vacuum your floor. But how do they know where to go in your room? They don't. They have no perception of the room. They no. Don't actually, they they don't have very, very limited senses. They can't see the room. They they can sense when they bump up bump into things, and so they can stop and turn around. That's all they can do. And so what they do is they just walk randomly around the room. They do. Yeah. And they exploit this idea, which is a drunk person. <laughs> it's, called, it's literally called drunkard's walk in the scientific sense. What is it called? A drunkard's walk. <laughs> A drunk person, if they if they stumble around as a drunk person will, yeah. will eventually, by luck, cover all of the room. <laughs> and and there's actually you can prove mathematical theorems that you know they only have to they'll only take twice as long as a person who can actually see the room 
<laughs> so eventually, with high probability, you know, cover the there. whole room. So, yeah. so it's exploiting, a, you know, drunkard's walk or the fact that that, uh, that even a, a stupid random walk will eventually cover. Like I want to talk about self-drive cars, but f- before I get there, tell me what are the, the big milestones in AI that we've achieved as humans? What would they be? There are a number of uh, milestones. It's, it, yeah, I mean, one of the most recent ones that, that your listeners may, may have noticed in the press um, in the last couple of years was that, that we, the best Go players on the planet now are not humans anymore. The best what? Go players. Go is an ancient Chinese strategy game. It's like the Chinese version of chess. Okay, I don't know. But it's much more complicated than chess. There are many more games of Go than there are atoms in the universe. And um, it was was a really landmark moment um, two years ago when the first Go champion was beaten by a a, um, computer program written by Google's um, DeepMind. AlphaGo was the program. Uh, and I can claim it really is an alpha, uh, a landmark moment because the New York Times said it was going to be a landmark moment. They said it was going to be a landmark moment 20 years ago in 1997 when the previous landmark moment happened when Gary Kasparov, the best chess player possibly ever, but certainly the best chess player on the planet at the time, was beaten by IBM's Deep Blue program. And in a sort of consoling article in the New York Times that year, um, uh, they wrote that, well, of course, you know, computers aren't artificially intelligent yet and they won't be till they can solve the game of Go because it's much more challenging than chess. And so it was a landmark moment when we were able to show that a, a program was, was far better. In and fact, Google made that. Google, well, it was a, a company that Google bought. It was a British oh, company, right. uh, DeepMind, that was bought by, by Google. And, um, it, it, it was, you know, a, a really stunning uh, moment. In fact, um, it plays chess, uh, Go, sorry, now so much better than humans that the Chinese have called it a Go God. Oh, wow. It plays a level that you have no hope, and even the Go masters have no hope. And um, now it, it, it played um, the previous version that beat the, the, the world's number one Go player. It beat it 100 nil. So it's well, now you have no chance at all of, of, of winning. So it's an interesting question. You know, so people say to me, you know, well, of course, you know, let's go back to this question of computers just do what you tell them. Well, you can't write a program to play better Go or better chess than a human because, well, if you did, you'd be able to play better Go or chess yourself. If you, yes. You had to write the program. So this is again, it's, it was an example of a program that learnt to play by playing itself millions of times. And again, it was a slow learner because it's now better than any human, but it played way more games of, of Go than any human could ever play. If you, if you woke up in the morning when and you were played born Go all day. and started playing Go all day, all, all day for every day of your life, you wouldn't come close to the number of games of Go that this program had played. Um, so it's, it's a slow learner, but eventually, because it's had so much experience, it's now got as, be- as good as humans and now much, much better than humans. And in fact, it's going to, interestingly enough, it's going to teach us new things about the game of Go. It's starting to play moves that Go masters in 2,000 years of Go have never played, have never thought were interesting moves and were successful moves. And so it's opening up the game. And we already saw that 20 years ago with chess, when chess programs got better than humans. It actually changed the game of chess. Uh, interesting, and to, to go to the worry that some people have about, well, aren't these programs just going to all replace us? Uh, it didn't stop chess being an interesting activity. In fact, there are more chess professionals earning their living playing chess today than back in 97. 
Well, because uh, they're trying to beat the machine. Not because they're not, because they're, because they're, no, no one's interested in beating machines. They're interested in beating other humans. That's the... <laughs> right. Um, but we now know much more about chess. And, of course, you can, you know, download a program, an app on, on your smartphone that can play chess at a grandmaster level that can help teach you to play better chess. So the level of chess on the planet has actually improved greatly because we've got these tireless patient assistance programs that can teach us um, to play chess. Um, that and never tire and, and never complain. So do we use that technology? So we've mastered the chess um, in artificial intelligence and the go. Then do you then use that and apply that technology to other things? You can start. You have to point out, of course, that games are a, a much more well-defined thing than the sorts of activities that we do, intelligent activities we do in the rest of our lives. You know, there are precise rules about what your moves you can make and what it means to win. In life, of course, there are much less precise rules. There are many, many more choices you can make in your life at any point, and it's less precise who wins. But nevertheless, you can start to try and take these ideas and apply them to more open-ended problems. And so, for example, now we've already got programs playing poker. Right. The card game poker. And poker introduces some other new elements into the mix. It's got uncertainty. You don't know where all the cards are because some of the... Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Cards are hidden from you. Whereas in Go or Chess, you can see everything. There's no nothing hidden from you. Um, and then also in poker, there's human psychology. And mm. so the programs that are being written have to work out whether someone's bluffing or not. Yeah. Um, but again, that, that has not proved insurmountable. And, um, you know, a colleague of mine, a friend of mine, Thomas Santom, uh, wrote a program last year that beat some of the best poker players on the planet in a, in a million dollar competition. So, so yes, it took some more work. Um, but, you know, it was Okay. So we've seen some milestones in, you know, what you can call gaming. Yes. Where else have we seen them? Autonomous cars is one example. You can go out and buy an autonomous car today. It's not, it doesn't drive, um, you know, around the town, but it will drive down the highway. Um, you, you know, so the program, we can do most, uh, you know, um, Andrew Ning, a, a colleague of mine, a friend of mine, gave a very good rule of thumb. It's, it's, if it's something that you or I can do with a moment's thought, we can probably get a program to do that now, 
or if we put enough effort, we're very shortly going to be able to do that. So that's how you've got Skype Translate. Um, you can do a simultaneous translation between any, pretty much mm-hmm. any pair of languages on Skype. It's understanding the, the spoken language, then translating it into the new spoken, into the other language, and then reading it out to you in real time. That's the sort of thing that we as humans can do with a moment's thought. That's why, uh, translators can do that in the UN and elsewhere. You know, it's in one ear and out the mouth. Um, that's the sort of thing that we can do. Um, you know, there's, you know, lots of other examples of those sorts of things, but there's still, still, I want, you know, I wouldn't people to think that, you know, we're going to be replaced anytime soon. There's still lots of things that we can do mm. effortlessly that machines can't oh, do. Oh, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's happening too slowly. <laughs> <laughs> I think I want to get to the UK faster. I want to, I want, you know, artificial intelligence to make my life easier. I want them to be able to, you know, clean my house or, you know, well, help unfo- me get to work faster or, well, you, you know. Yeah, unfortunately, the cleaning a house, that's probably the last thing. Yeah, because no one's interested. Well, not because no one's interested, <laughs> because actually it's one of the hardest things. So the home is a very cluttered, uncertain environment and it's very My hard. home's not cluttered. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Don't you be my, offending my home, me. My home is cluttered, but yours isn't. Yeah. Apologies to my wife. Um, it's all my fault. I'm not doing yeah, enough for the home. Right. You're, going, you're going to get it when you get yes, home. I'll have to do some tidying up. Yeah. Um, but it, there's this thing called Moravac's paradox. The easy things are hard and the hard things are easy for computers. So the, the hard things, playing chess, playing Go, all the things that we think are really challenging intellectually, those are the things that actually it turned out to be the easiest to get computers to do. The easy things, you know, folding some sheets, um, vacuuming, those are the things that actually turned out to be quite hard to do. Mm. And we're still working at the, dealing with those things. There is a sort of scientific argument to this, which is that well, actually the reason they're hard is because we've had millions of years of evolution has sort of baked those those skills into us and it's the new things the things like playing chess that we've only been doing recently that we haven't yet baked into our evolution that we can easily program and it's the the hard things that we have to somehow understand what our bodies learned over millions of years of evolution i grew up watching lost in space um <laughs> which i really did you ever watch that a little bit, yes. Oh, yeah. um, and what I loved, because I'm a practical person, was they would put clothes in the washing machine, they would came, come out folded and in the plastic bag, and I thought, when are we going to get to that? Skip the plastic bag, but folded and dry would be nice. Well, we have built a robot that can fold clothes. It just takes 20 minutes to fold one shirt. Ah, right. So we've still got some work <laughs> to go. But, you know, we, 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 you've got to, re- you know, with, with, with kindness to my... Other scientific and engineering colleagues, we, you know, we do build washing machines. They have taken some of the yes. sweat out of washing. We're no longer going down to the river bank and, yes. and pounding the clothes ourselves anymore. <laughs> so right. machinery automation has taken some of the task. Who away. leads what we automate? Is it business? Is it science? Is it, how does that all work? Is it money? It is being driven a lot these days by a lot of money. There's a lot of money flowing into AI in Silicon Valley and in a few other countries. I mean, um, certainly China is the place that actually most of us are looking over our shoulder at because they're throwing billions of dollars at the, the problem. And, and, you know, because they want more automation. Well, yes. I mean, if, if I was the Chinese um, president, I would also think this is a, that they've, they've put it in their plan of, of, of how they're going to maintain economic and military dominance in the world. 
by investing very heavily in AI. Um, and, and if I was the Chinese president, I would agree. That seems a very sensible plan. You've got a burgeoning middle class that you're trying to keep um, happy. You're no longer going to be the cheapest labor um, as, as, as the economy picks up and wages pick up in China. You're not going to be the cheapest labor force. So how can you keep those people happy? And also, if you're a totalitarian state, I have to point out, it's a, it's also very good to be able to keep an eye on your population mm. and, and control them. So it's, um, it's convenient thought, for many respects. Yeah, I always thought it would, the leaders would be Japan, the Japanese, because they took to machinery, they adopted to mach- machinery in their lifestyle more so than we did, didn't they? There, there is quite a bit of work going on in Japan, uh, uh, is but, but they yeah. tend to more follow than lead. And they certainly they they have you know quite a bit in robotics. They they have a, a very different relationship with robots than we do have in the West. They're mu- they're much more surprisingly open as a society. Uh, they have a very aging population. Of course, that's a real problem that, that's uh, coming to to face them. And so, in fact, they're investing. Lots of effort in building um, robots to look after aged healthcare, mm. robots to look after their aged because um, they, they they're not having many children and the population the population with a um, that both lives very long they have very long uh, life expectancy in Japan because of diet and various other reasons um, and so they have a very rapidly aging population and they see robots as the answer to to look after themselves. Hmm. It's interesting where that, that where that'll go. Okay, well, I am going to ask you the question. So, what is your prediction? <laughs> <laughs> Ten predictions about um, how AI will have. Where will we be in, in by the year two thousand and fifty? What do you think? Self-driving cars. We certainly will. Have. Not only will we have self-driving cars, that- but would they be accessible? And that's what we're using. They, they will be accessible. That's one of the real benefits of self-driving cars. Is that is is that People who don't have mobility today, the elderly who are too old to drive, the young who are too young to drive, the handicapped who physically can't drive, will mm. be given mobility mm. that, you, that the rest of us take for granted, uh, as well as being much safer and much cheaper. So it will be fantastic. In fact, by 2050, most of us won't be able to drive anymore. I have a bet with my daughter that she will never learn to drive. She's How old eight. is she? She's so, eight. Yeah, she's eight, so she's got yeah. ten years' time. It will be so more convenient, so easy. And safer. So much safer. I'll be much happier that she won't be driving or any of her friends won't be driving. Um, and it will be so much, you know, you can go out and party and you get some super Uber to take you home. And that will be, you won't even have to own a car, you know, all that big expense of owning a car, that will all disappear. So that she will. The whole car industry is going to get hammered again. Will be, <laughs> yes. We'll need far fewer cars. Yeah. Well, we don't build cars at any rate, so no. it doesn't matter anymore. No. But, um, but yes, it will hammer the car industry. But for the most of us, the rest of us, it will be great. I mean, mm. much more convenient. Oh, I'd and love so it. we'll be the last generation that knows how to drive. And when we, um, stop driving, as, as we will, because we'll actually, we'll, we'll lose the skill ourselves. We'll, we'll, we'll get to look, we'll get to renew our license and we'll, you know, the government will point out, well, the last time I noticed you took the wheel of your car <laughs> was 10 years ago. <laughs> so you're no longer able yeah. to drive. So the, we'll also lose that skill. I mean, like all those other skills that we're losing, yeah. like map reading and subtraction, mm. all those things that we used to be able to do, but, but we've now handed over to okay, the machines. Okay. Number two. I've <laughs> got to come up with 10. Mainly the book to remind myself exactly what, what, but, what but, number, uh, number two was. Uh, um, so I came up with... You see the doctor daily. Yeah. 
So we were, we're already, we're already connecting ourselves to lots of devices that, uh, that monitor us. And we'll actually be saying, and Toby, I noticed your blood pressure is not as good as it used to be. Maybe you should go and have it checked out. So you'll have a device in the house that will measure you'll be, your health. You'll be, have devices connected to you that will actually, ah. your smartphone and all these things, they'll become more and more full of sensors. Already you can do quite a lot with a camera uh, and a heartbeat monitor, but there'll be other things that monitor your pressure and your selfie camera will actually be spotting your, your face for any signs of melanonia. We'll be inspecting the back of your eyeball when you use your login biometrically with the back of your eyeball. And we'll be so telling, you don't have to go to the GP no, and sit in the waiting room for two to, hours. It will tell you when to go. Yeah. Uh, prediction number three is Marilyn Monroe's back in the movies. Ah, the actually holograms. No, not holograms. Digitally, the movies where we would just be recreating Marion and Monroe. Maybe if you want to go and see her in person, there'll be a hologram that'll be created that will show her. But, but so sort of, she'll be acting in. She'll a be new acting, film. and you won't be able to tell her apart. Um, and of course, they won't have to pay those excessive uh, fees that they pay actors today, yeah. and they won't um, get sick or sick or drink too much, all the other things, or, or get assaulted by or the get producer. Assaulted, yes, yeah, uh, <laughs> yes. So it'd be much easier for <laughs> much right. safer, <laughs> and we can have all our yeah, and you'll be able to choose. In fact, actually, the movies will change. The the movies and games will become one, and you will be in the movie as well. Yeah, and wow. you will be able to talk to Marilyn Monroe, and the story will evolve in depending on which direction. So they won't you be Hollywood it. stars as we know. No, them. you'll be part of the movie as well. Wow! And I can look any way I want to look. Yeah. Uh, prediction number four is the computer hires you and fires you. Actually, this is already happening. Computers are already being people. There's lots of HR companies starting to look into using. Uh, computers to scan through people's CVs and actually work out who to call for interview. Oh, wow. And if you think about it, it's not such an extreme step because no. the, we already put the most important matching problem in our life, matching not matching people to jobs, but matching people to other people, to computers. That's computer dating. We already handed over that job to algorithms to actually make suggestions as who we might want to meet. Um, so it's a, a simple step before yeah. they're hiring you and I'm sure actually ultimately firing you. firing you. And perhaps I would suspect there's probably some dark part of the Googleplex where that's already happening. Yeah, they know what you're doing. Yes, uh, yes, that's a more sinister thing that we may have to worry about. Uh, prediction five is you talk to rooms. You walk into the room, you say, lights on. Who won the footy last night? And the room, whichever... Well, I'm room. already doing that with Google Home. Yes, yeah, this is already happening. But yeah. it will be... You're, the difference will be you will expect it to happen in every room and you will expect every room to understand who you are. It will biometrically identify your voice. Then it will go up into the cloud and work out, you know, you said who's, who won the footy. It will know which team you support. It will go up and look at whether your team was lucky or not last night and tell you. And everywhere you go, in your every room you go in, in every car you go in, every office you go in, every space you go in, There'll be some device listening, which does start to sound very 1984-ish. Mm. Mm. And we need to think through about the privacy mm. uh, because, you know, at the moment people are, you know, just putting these devices into our homes without thinking, I think, carefully about the fact that, that it will be very much like 1984 mm. if we're not careful. Mm. You could see it as being invasive, couldn't you? You could. Uh, prediction number six, um, a robot robs a bank. 
That is um, – that's highly possible, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, I could see that happening. Yes. So it's but you could shoot mm. – I mean, how would you stop it? Well, that's yes, going to be the challenging. But it's not going to be physical. It's just going to go through your computer, isn't it? And take well, uh, when I when I wrote the title down, I was thinking more of you know cyber robbery. Right. But then the more I thought about it, was criminals might actually use use this physically yeah, as well. Because, yeah, they might because they're not risking themselves. So it, it, I think it could be a bit of both. Interesting. Prediction seven. Uh, this is a very specific prediction. Germany, the German fo- human football team, loses to a robot team. Mm. So this is a prediction that we're already actually building robots to play soccer. And the challenge and the expectation that we have is that by 20... Physically. Yes, to, physically we have uh, computers playing robots. In fact, Australia punches well above it. We, uh, with respect to the, uh, the Socceroos, we are five times world champion at robot soccer. We are. Uh, How does that look? I can't visualise that. So they play it on at the moment on a mini soccer field, and they yeah. play it with little humanoid robots. They're about um, two feet tall, oh, and they right. kick a ball around, and they sense the world for themselves, and um, they uh, coordinate oh, their activities. I don't think the world needs more sport. I don't like that. One. Yes. I mean, so yeah. I mean, so why, why are we interested? <laughs> because it's 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 a fun thing to get students in to do. And it requires things like coordination and, and, and robot uh, skills that, that will be useful in many other things. Um, so another part of the competition is called Robot Rescue, where we actually we send robots into simulated earthquake disaster zones. That makes more sense to where me. Where it's not safe to put humans in. Yeah. And they're using some of the similar skills that they use on the football field to actually you know, navigate around um, you know, a rubble-strewn a building that's fallen down and find any human survivors. I mean, they, they, they've used robots to um, deactivate bombs and things like that, haven't they? They have, yes. Yeah. And they've sent them into Fukushima to where it's too dangerous for humans now to go in because of the, the accident that happened there. So, yes, um, so yeah, the robots are there to do the four Ds, the dirty, the difficult, the dull, and the dangerous. Yeah. To actually, you know, to get humans out of harm's way. And so um, we have some of the most um, automated minds in the planet now, here in Australia, which has been a good thing. It used to be hundreds of people died in mines of Australia every year. Now it's three dozen. That's three dozen too many. But largely it's because we've got humans out of the way by putting machines in there, mm. automated machines. And we have some minds that are almost fully automated now. Mm. Okay, what else have you got? Prediction eight. Ghost ships, planes and trains cross the globe. Which is that we're not just going to have autonomous cars, but we're going to have autonomous trains, autonomous ships, and uh, perhaps more controversially, autonomous planes. Now, will they go faster? No, they're not going to go any faster. Wow. The speed of sound is still a <laughs> fundamental physics problem. Well, I'm but not they'll interested be far in safer. <laughs> If you look at most plane accidents that happen today, they're caused um, by pilot error. Yeah, human error. And so whilst it's reassuring to have a human up the front, um, some, you think someone else fighting for our lives when the plane's going down, it will probably ultimately be um, far safer. Actually, how I predict that it's going to unfold there is it's going to happen with cargo planes. We'll, we'll automate cargo planes. I think people are a bit suspicious, probably not rightly so, are going to be a bit suspicious about removing pilots completely immediately. So they'll be removed out of cargo planes where we don't care because yeah. if the cargo plane crashes well, some, some yeah. cargo yep. got destroyed. That's not really very critical. And then after about 10 years, people will look and say, well, wait a second. How is it that none of the cargo planes crash 
and only the passenger planes are crashing. You say, well, that's because you've still yeah, got pilots, pilots in them. And people will say, oh, uh, maybe we should do the same with, with Yeah, pilots. absolutely. And then um, uh, the prediction nine, the penultimate prediction, and the TV news is made without humans. No humans used at all in the production. Even Have content? Them, even content. Sourced, so who collects the Sourced off the internet. Ah, uh, yeah. Photographed by robot cameramen. Yeah, no right. humans were involved at all. And you get, in fact, it won't be broadcast, it'd be narrowcast. You'll log on and get your personalised TV news that's we've almost, the stories you're we've, interested in. We're kind of heading there already, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. These are all yeah. things. They're, yeah. they're predictions all based upon just looking at where we are now and yeah. extrapolating shortly into the future. Right. And then the final prediction, we live on after our death. How does that work? Uh, so it's going to happen in, in a, not exactly in the way that you live forever, I suspect, but in the sense that increasingly we'll have digital assistants that do things for us, that, that coordinate meetings with other people and go off and buy our shopping, and eventually they're going to sound like us. They'll, they'll just be trained on our voices and they'll they'll actually start to, to sound and they'll understand what we do and they'll say the sorts of things we do. And then when we die, it's going to be very hard for our relatives to turn these things off. Oh. And well, it's already to, hard for them to turn your phone. Like exactly. To, to, yeah. Just like it's hard to turn your someone, someone, you know, I had this when my mother died. And, you know, we didn't want to turn our answer phone off because yeah. that was her voice. And it's going to be much more troubling when there's this machine that can respond and answer to new questions in the way that that person would have if they were still alive. And so we will live on in these machines. And, in fact, someone's actually... Since I wrote it, someone's actually already done this. I'm actually trained a, a, a computer program to sound like a, mm. someone who's, who's, who's no longer with us. Toby Walsh, incredibly interesting. We could probably talk for another hour. Thank you so much for coming in to speak with us today. Um, it's frightening but exciting at the same time. It is. It will make our lives better as long as we make a few good choices. Yeah. And um, it's nice to see that my dream of building machines from a that might think from 40 years ago is starting to come true. Yeah, thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere or you can download from Audible, Google Play, or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere, everywhere. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.